everyone, and welcome back to Speakeasy Security, the podcast from ESET. I'm Ransom Burkett. And I'm Tony Anscombe. And guess what, Tony? Well, Ransom. Well, this episode right here, this marks the beginning of our fourth season of Speakeasy Security. I mean, time has certainly flown by. What do you think? Well, it certainly has. For something we started in lockdown, and uh, we're now coming out of lockdown. <laughs> That's, that's pretty awesome to have done four seasons. And I know my mum has listened to all f- three seasons so far. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, if she's out there listening now, thanks again for listening. And for all of our return listeners, we so we're going to break everything down for you in speakeasy terms so that you can understand what we're all talking about. Now, Tony, let's start at the top. Can you tell me what vaccination passports are and what authenticated information they contain? Well, firstly, Ransom, I think we're uh, hypothesizing here because this is something that is in discussion. Uh, There was an announcement by the G7 recently that they're going to look at how to or whether to use vaccination passports. But before we get into what it might contain, let's correct the term because I believe vaccination passport is the wrong term being used. And I think several countries and regions are trying to get away from this terminology because it's a certification of immunity at a point in time, not a vaccination record. So what might it contain? Well, it would have verified information that you have had a vaccine. So one of the approved vaccines, whether that be Moderna or Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or such like. and But it could also include whether you've had COVID in the last five to six months because you then have natural immunity. So therefore, you don't need to have been vaccinated. Or it could also include within the last two to three days, that you've had a negative test for COVID. So it means at the point in time where you need to present this credential, whether this is for a flight or whether it's to go to a concert or whatever it may be, is that you are not putting other people at risk. And it would likely be, what might it look like? Well, it could be a card, a physical card, like your driver's license. So Think about this. It has to identify you. So it has to have your identity on it. It could be an app. And it could be as simple as the app presents a QR code to the person requiring the information. It could be something from your healthcare provider. Now, the downside of, of course, if you get into this is somebody has to recognize where it was issued or who it was issued by and that it looks official. Because if every town issued a different driver's license, then it would be very difficult to judge, wouldn't it, (laughs) whether it's a real driver's license, which could happen with an immunity record of this type. And I'm sure we're going to end up calling it a vaccination passport through the rest of this podcast. But I just want to make the point it's not actually a record of just vaccination. I really like that. And that makes perfect sense. Now, you mentioned there's a variety of things happening and discussions happening. So there, as you mentioned, there's no standardization just yet. 
But if we were to further our hypothesis that, you know, the vaccination passports do exist in some form, as you mentioned, physical or, or the app, um, what are the benefits that you can speak to that people would glean from actually having a vaccination passport? Well, firstly, I mean, the airline industry, if you're traveling internationally, you're already having to produce certain documentation to be able to travel internationally. Uh, I'm going to lean back on the experience of my son here who traveled recently back to Europe. And he had to travel with a series of documents in a pack and uh, documents held electronically that proved he'd been tested in the last three days, that he had a test booked two days after landing, that he had a location to quarantine in, and on day eight he would have a, a second post-landing test. So he had to have arranged all these prior to traveling. So now think about the benefit of actually having something where part of that is already done. So you've got your vaccination record or an immunity test or that you can prove that you're naturally immune because you've already had COVID in the last period of months. And the main benefit, of course, would be tourism tourism and travel. So if you look at the travel industry over the last 12 months, although I I think here in the US domestically, travelers come back a long way. Certainly, when my son went back to Europe the other day, I think there were less than 20 people on a very large aircraft. So international travel clearly is not back. So you've got organizations like the International Air Transport Association, which represents 290 airlines worldwide, are testing their own app-based travel pass. So let's call, they're calling it a travel pass, yeah, an immunity passport. Uh, and it would store, it could store your passport, your vaccination record, other travel records and COVID test results and all sorts of other things in there. But that critical information is going to also enable you, when you land, not to be put into countries' mandatory quarantine. So, for example, if you're traveling from certain countries into some European countries, you are required, and and in fact, uh, Australia, and I think New Zealand have this as well, you're required to enter government-mandated hotel accommodation for 10 days at your cost. And it, it is a quarantine hotel. So And you're not allowed to leave the location. So if you suddenly have all the documentation in place or you can prove vaccination status, then maybe actually you'd get out of some of this. If you travel without one of these, then I would expect those governments to turn and say, you're in our quarantine hotel for 10 days. We need to make sure you're clean. Uh, or not infected, not clean. That's the wrong word, isn't it? But, but you understand my point here, and I think the uh, European Union are calling this a digital green certificate. And China has already rolled out its own version of a digital passport for international travel. And, and here in the US, you know, for example, if you want to go to Hawaii, you have to prove uh, that you've had a negative test before flying. So that in itself is an immunity passport right there, isn't it? Because you're ending up at the check-in desk showing that you have a negative test. So it's a certification of a status of your health. So there's lots of different experiments going on, and what it will look like, I don't know. But this then goes into what about other venues? 
Uh, and as you know, Ranson, my wife and I uh, love to go to music concerts. I can't wait for the day that we get back out into live concerts. We've watched some really awesome uh, online concerts, by the way. Uh, one by Magic Giant from a boat off of LA the other day. So any Magic Giant fans out there, or if you're not a Magic Giant fan, go listen to that and try and pick that up online. That was fantastic. But now imagine when those venues start to open, I can imagine some concert venues turning around and saying that you've got to have been tested on the day of the concert or you've got to prove vaccination status because what they don't want to become is a super spreader event. Yeah, and no, let's be clear, nobody wants them to become a super spreader event, or I hope they don't. Yeah. So I can see this being used for mass gather, yeah, mass gathering events as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it certainly makes sense. And I'm going to go back to one of the points you mentioned around uh, going to Hawaii. It was reported that um, when lockdown happened, you know, there was a lot of um, limitations to Hawaii as they looked to make sure that, you know, they protected their state, you know, their, their islands. And um, there was a gentleman that kind of took it upon himself to say, you know, I'm not going to get the COVID test and the airlines wouldn't give him, you know, access to it. So he went ahead and charted his own flight. And upon landing in Hawaii, he was definitely met with uh, you're going to have to turn that around or be arrested because you're not coming here without a test or, or, or admitting to one. So to your point, yeah, these things are being done. They're going to be enforced. And uh, I, I get it. As you mentioned, with travel kind of opening up soon. Check everything because before you go, you probably will have to have a lot of different um, documentations and tests even upon arrival. So that's a good point. Well, and let me just share with you, Ranson. So my son got back to his college campus in the UK. Uh, and he, he wanted to be there for his final term. Um, that was his quarantine. So his he's, he's flat, his apartment at college is his quarantine uh, area. He has been called every day by the UK government to check that he's in his, uh, in his apartment and he's quarantining. And another um, student that also returned just before him clearly hadn't responded to the request for ensuring your quarantining and two police officers turned up. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's great. At the college uh, looking for that student. So I'm just saying this is really being policed. So if, if these vaccine passports or immunity passports can uh, stop some of that policing and, and policing resor uh, resources back onto actually doing proper police work, yeah, and that would be a good thing. You got that right. Well, it's good to hear that's how they're taking care of it over there. So, um, And I hope actually the travel industry and governments continue to work together to potentially even standardize on vaccination passports so everything looks the same as you mentioned versus a different license for every county or state or region. Um, but let's switch gears a bit. Let's talk about privacy implications because, you know, that's going to come up with anything medical or vaccine related. Um, with the rollout of any new system, Tony, that contains medical data and information, there's going to be an uproar, certainly from the privacy watchdogs and plenty of others. Do you think the standards for privacy are being upheld with the vaccination passports we're seeing out now? Well, so I believe there's a trade, there's a trade here between privacy and public health. And at some stage, you have to make that, that trade. And I think we saw that, and I know we're going to come back to it on contact tracing apps, and, and we'll get to there in, in just a moment. But 
I'm not sure it's an infri- infringement of my privacy if I choose to travel internationally and choose to have or subscribe to an app that has my vaccination record in it, then I'm not sure that that's an infringement of my privacy because it's voluntary voluntary for me and it's my choice to travel. However, if it was mandatory, then I understand the privacy implications. But you can make certain choices, can't you? I mean, if you want to go to certain places, then you may need certain things. So, for example, if I want to drive from here to Tahoe in the winter, I need snow chains. I don't believe a legal requirement for me needing snow chains is an infringement on my rights. Exactly, exactly. But I know it's a legal requirement, and it's my choice to go to Tahoe. In this case, remember, this is a public health issue, and it's not about my health. It's about protecting other people's health. Exactly. And that, and that's a good point because um, the concerns will always be there. But I think with the idea of making sure that people are protected from a health perspective, the angle that you just mentioned is perfectly appropriate. And I hope it doesn't get bottlenecked because of the privacy concern. Um, but let's talk about this scenario. I mean, there were some interesting developments yesterday. The White House just yesterday made an announcement pretty interesting one that basically said they will not be involved with any system that requires Americans to carry a credential. There will be, and they're saying this, they're saying there will be no federal vaccination database, but you have a counterpoint to that. What about people with green cards? I mean, I believe there are certain requirements as it relates to vaccinations in order to even get one of those. Well, this is a good point because the, when I read that they're saying due to privacy issues that uh, you the vaccination record isn't a good idea, then how come my green card has a requirement for me to be vaccinated? And if by definition, if I'm carrying my green card, which by the way is a legal requirement, if you're a green card holder, you're meant to carry it, I have to have been vaccinated with mumps, measles, rubella, polio, tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, uh, there's one that I can't actually uh, pronounce, hepatitis B, and other vac- uh, numerous other vaccines. And I think I've told you the story before, Ransom, of uh, unfortunately, because I predate dig- digital keeping, I actually had to go and have all these vaccines again in my green card process. So... My, I had a very sore arm that afternoon. <laughs> my point is, is if somebody has a green card in their pocket, they have a record that they have been vaccinated against the things required uh, on that list. And then we get into the school requirement. I'm not the only person who I can point to and turn and say, well, this person has had these vaccines. To go to a California school, a person needs to have had, or a student, a child needs to show and prove to the school that they've had vaccinations against polio, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis B, and chickenpox. Yeah. So by the fact you're registered into the public school system means that you are carrying a vaccine 
identification, passport, whatever we want to call it, a certification that you've had vaccinations. So I'm not sure if it's a privacy issue, then how come it's not a privacy issue for school children or green card holders? That's a very good point. And I'd love to hear the counter to that. I mean, I'll keep my eyes on the content that I search on the web, but this is, that's a very good point. And maybe they bring that back to center when they're having these discussions with both the private and the public sector. Wow, Tony, that, that's super impressive. And right now I'm going to pause for a drink because as we always do at Speakeasy and on season four, it's no difference. We have a little bit of fun in the sip of something nice. So this week, I am going to tell you something, Tony. I am not drinking a Lagunitas IPA or a little something or anything from that brewery this uh, this season just yet. I actually have an Ale Smith Sublime. It's a Mexican lager, and it is delicious. What are you sipping on? Well, actually, I'm being really good this afternoon here, Ransom. Yeah. I have a cup of coffee in front of me. cup of coffee. Look at you. Yeah, well, which is, you know... It's the middle of the afternoon, and yeah, yeah. I have too much work on my yeah. plate. <laughs> Completely hear you all. Enjoy but your coffee. If Lagunitas are listening, yeah. you are losing a fan here because you're not delivering the sponsored ale yeah. on a frequent basis. Got that right. Love your beer, but guys, yeah, I have to take a look at uh, our good old folks at Alesmith. So here, cheers to you, Tony, and uh, again, a great, great four seasons. Um, we're going to come back. Let's come back to something very interesting, and this may even turn the conversation on its head. Tell me, Tony, what's the difference between a vaccination passport and contact tracing? That's got to be a hot topic. It, and it is, because I think the two are in some way linked. When COVID started, the pandemic started, uh, the technology technology industry stepped in and turned and said, you know, potentially about using technology to to do contact tracing, which seemed like a great idea. And certain countries in the world have mandated this and used it effectively, and in others it hasn't been used widely. But I think there are big similarities. One, when the first contact tracing apps came out, they were using Bluetooth and they were not particularly very uh, privacy-aware because those first countries, uh, the operating systems they were running on, uh, didn't have the right features in them to make them private. And the technology industry stepped in. So you saw Apple and Google step in and create uh, APIs in the underlying operating system to actually make a privacy-aware system. Now think about the technology of a vaccine passport. You know, Is there a privacy issue? Well, yeah, I'm sure there is. But if you engage with private industry... The technology, one thing the technology industry are pretty good at is actually coming up with a robust solution that would be acceptable. So whether that's using blockchain or whether that's using other types of technology, you would see an app come out of this that's pretty good. But there is a major difference. So contact tracing is anonymous. So you can put contact tracing on your phone and it sends these tokens and it doesn't actually need to know who you are. But you see, an immunization record needs to identify you. So if you stand outside that concert or you're trying to get on the cruise ship or you're trying to board a flight, the person actually needs to verify your identity. So you still might have to show your passport or your driver's license or such like, 
But when they check your immunization record, they'd actually have to see a picture of you and the name, and they'd have to see other things. So it would have to be a much more robust system because it is going to contain personal information. But it's not going to contain that much more personal information beyond what you already have to show. Because to get on a plane, you already have to verify your identity. So the only piece of information this is adding is that before I get on this plane, that I'm not a risk to the other passengers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And let's let's be clear. This is what it's about, not being a risk to the other passengers. Absolutely. It's not somebody snooping into your health status. Not at all. It, it, it's more than that. And I'm glad that you bring that up because that's kind of what I think will, that mentality will certainly help bring us forward. So there, there's a lot happening with apps, with the personal information, you just mentioned how contact tracing will kind of keep that anonymized, but there's even a bigger discussion happening right now with how vaccines are being carried out and who actually receives them is varying greatly from state to state here in the U.S. So let's talk about the impact of equity in vaccinations. Now, what are you seeing as it relates to how that's being carried out here in the U.S.? Well, as you, as you know, from a personal standpoint, I, I think it appeared that some wealthy people got theirs first, but we'll leave that to appear at some time in a, <laughs> yeah. at a rant when we're in person. Certainly. But there is clearly an equity issue. And actually, the governor of California has, as you know, has tried to address this here in California, and he took 2 million doses out of the general system and moved those 2 million doses into uh, an area where you've got other ethnic minorities, so either people of color or Hispa large Hispanic communities. And if you look at that, what you're talking about is low-income, um, you know, poor communities where you've got actually a lot of essential workers. Let's be really clear. You know, a lot of agricultural workers through the Central Valley are Hispanic, and he created vaccine clinics in those areas. So there is some, there is an address of the equity of distribution. Um, but of course, it is, unfortunately, as well, because the de the deaths in those areas have been higher as well. And that's because those essential workers have carried on working because you know, we needed them. You know, we, we didn't stop eating food, did we? Yeah. Um, we stopped finding toilet rolls on our shelves, but we didn't stop eating. Yeah, you know, we still needed to eat. So the equity is, is has been... Uh, an interesting issue. However, like I say, I, th I think public pressure has been pretty good on this and there has been uh, good uptake. The one thing I would stress is if you're listening to this and you are from one of those groups that is, uh, or, or you're questioning whether you should have a vaccine or whether you don't know how to go and get one, you should go and find out and yeah. you should do your research, make sure you're happy with it. And if, if you think it's appropriate, go and have your vaccination. Um, I've certainly had my first jam, so yeah. I'm proud to say I have. I'm glad. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that, Tony, and it makes a lot of sense too. So we're going to wrap up with this last question here because I think it's really important. How do you see, well, if you had your crystal ball, your, your future-gazing moment, how do you see vaccination passports or whatever we're calling them being used a year from now? What services will require people to prove they've been vaccinated? What what kind of things are you, you know, pontificating or thinking about that could actually affect um, us one year out? 
Well, firstly, let's take that travel piece, uh, because even if the US government have turned around and said, we're not going to have vaccination passports, that's kind of irrelevant if you want to travel internationally. Because if where you're landing requires you to have proof of vaccination or to even board a plane to that country, then you're going to have to have a vaccination passport, whether that's an official vaccination passport or whether it's the bunch of paperwork that my son had to travel with. That's a vaccination passport. And actually, I would rather see it be a proper, authenticated, verified document whether that and, and I say document loosely here, whether that's a card, whether that's an app, or whether that's some type of dig, you know, digital certification, whatever it might be, I would rather it be formal. And I can see for full uh, full gatherings at soccer matches, football games, and in person concerts, then I can see it being used that way. You may even have different entrances to a hospital. You know, vaccinated people coming in this way, people without vaccination being treated differently, temperatures taken, and, you know, the the proactive things that medical, the medical environment are doing today to ensure that people coming in are not infected. So you may still see that for people that can't produce one. So I think there is a place for it, and I can see it being used. Uh, and I think... Most of us, deep down, even with our privacy issues and security issues, which I still think if this is done, it has to be done the right way. You have to engage with industry. You have to make sure it's secure. And you have to make sure it's, it, that anybody using the information from it is using it correctly, yeah, so that it's not being used in the, in the wrong way. Just as contact tracing went through this rocky uh, moments when it first happened, I can see this being a useful piece of information uh, and it will be used to allow us to all go about our business in our normal way. I love it. You've heard it here first. Tony's saying that we're probably going to be able to get back to normal and we'll have to document, we'll have to show some documentation in order to benefit from it. And, and I'm right there with you. I hope we do sooner than later, but we got to do it right. So Tony, anything else before we kind of shut this down? Well, only that actually, if having a vaccine passport means you and I can actually meet and yeah. have that beer, then I'm with it, man. Same. Same. Yeah, it, it's been too long. Gosh, I can't tell you last time we both saw each other in person or humped on the plane, but I'm ready to jump back in it as soon as we can get this thing sorted out. So this is great. Well, Tony, hey, we're episode one of season four. I'm happy to be back, man. Likewise. So everyone... Stay tuned for a lot of exciting episodes this season of Speakeasy Security. And with that, we're going to send you off. Stay safe, everyone.